start, I'd like to say thank you as usual to all of our audience for joining today. Um, I'm always excited, everyone knows this. Every time I do a podcast, I'm like, oh my God, she's so amazing, she's so cool. But the truth of the matter is, is that when I get together with other black women, that's just genuinely how I feel. Like, I feel the excitement, I feel the buzz, the just the whole, the free sun of energy that we get to share, not least when it's showcasing our expertise. Like, this is what gets me happy. It's not just that we're Black women getting together just for the sake of it. It's Black women with expertise showcasing who they are, what they do, what they're about. And this is no different with my guest today. And before I kind of hand over to Lydia, I'm going to caveat everything that we discussed today because we will be talking about information flow and investment strategies and tangibility but what I really want to make sure that everyone's aware of this does not constitute investment advice this is for educational purposes only this is not for you to take notes and go okay Lydia and Leanne said I need to be investing in this there will be no mentions of stocks share anything we're just talking about it it's how we see the world and how we see the the possibilities for us as black women to build generational wealth but really strong foundations so anyway without further ado miss lydia i'm going to hand over to you for you to introduce yourself to our audience thanks so much leanne thank you for having me um it's been a a joy to be able to speak to a more um women filled audience um in the past couple probably the past one year i'm really mm -hmm. happy to join you today so like you said, my name is Lydia Edom. I am an investment advisor. I'm also um, a VC, I'm a venture capitalist. Uh, started my career with advisory though, really with the aim of getting more black people, um, more investment advice and increasing wealth. Understanding as I started to work more in the industry, understanding that the wealthiest people don't go at it alone. Investing is not a do-it-yourself endeavor you actually do require a team as you would in anything else if you're wanting to be successful. Um, and so I wanted to provide investment advice and wealth management services mm. um, to our community at a price that we could afford. Cause I think it's just largely uh, we're, it's out, out price. Um, prices, prices is out of the market. And so our firm says that FM Capital Group. Um, and so we've been around for seven years now um, and 100% of our clients are of the African diaspora. And um, we do a plethora of work, but I say our niche is that we provide access to venture capital as another asset class for whom it's suitable for, uh, for their portfolio. And which leads me to uh, VC. Uh, I am a VC, a proper VC, a fund manager as well. I'm invest in Africa and Latin America, which is where we place clients as well. We believe, I've always believed as a Nigerian American, um, I've always believed that the opportunity for investment lies in Africa um, for a plethora of reasons, valuations, opportunity, challenges, population, um, and that we should largely be invested there as those of us who sit in the diaspora. So like I always say, don't let the accent fool you. I'm a Nigerian, my parents are both from Nigeria. Clearly I was born and raised in the US. <laughs> And um, I always thought that that opportunity to invest in Nigeria would come through real estate as a younger person. And I'm um, mm. to grow up in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area and learn more about tech and clearly about VC. And over the last 10 years, uh, 
technology has democratized uh, venture capital as well as probably every other sector. And it's our time. It's our time to move in with our capital, for, especially for those of us who sit in markets that are flush with capital and to take advantage of the opportunity to not have only real impact, but also real returns. And so that's the basis of my work, which um, I absolutely love. And so um, to that end, I worked with uh, Lofty Inc. Capital Management as Chief Operating Officer, where we have three funds. Um, and I say we're about to launch a new one, but we're you know getting ready to put out a new fund. <laughs> and um, for the sole purpose of, we believe that job creation is the way that we create an equitable and prosperous Africa. You've said so much in there. Like, I know everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, where to start, where to start, where to start. Um, but you know what, the, the one thing I definitely want to start with on, and I know this is a little, I'm going to call it a sidestep for purposes of where we're going to, but it's very interesting in terms of information flow. Um, and I'm going to take myself as a perf perfect example. Growing up, the continent of Africa was in the UK market. You only saw two sides. One side was the royal family going on their safari. And the other side was, um, you know, helping emaciated children, whether it was via Oxfam or all these kind of other things. So the flow of information really understated not understated, ignored the extent to which Africa is a global resource, that without Africa, the rest of the world has nothing, that Africa is the only continent that if all its debts were called in based on physical commodities, it could actually fulfill its debt obligations. Like, this is what we're not told. So even as we speak about the continent being a place of opportunity, it's still fighting against this narrative that's still being perpetuated now, which is, you know, Africa's high risk. You talked about also Latin America. These countries are high risk countries because, because, because. Yet the other reality is, is that all big corporates are invested directly um, in Africa. I think there was an article I read last week just talking about, you know, for the fact that all of our iPhones doesn't do not work. They were talking about the extractive industries within the within the DRC. Yep. This is a this is what we need to understand is that, you know, being a Brit Jamaican, um, even looking at that from the production of bauxite, looking at who owns, you know, where is the source of wealth within Jamaica? It's from China. Um, it's this realization that we as the diaspora, the African diaspora have to understand is that there's a reason why the other narrative is coming forward for this part around opportunity. And to your point, tech has democratized access to these markets. But we're also seeing that if you're going into these markets, let's take, what's his name again? Sam Friedman, FTX guy. Um, that if you're going in it for purely extractive purposes, you do more damage to the to the, the people on the ground than anything else. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, you're like, I feel, and you know, I, I feel like the narrative that has been perpetuated for decade um is for it feels like it's to keep us disconnected from the opportunity 
because um, quite frankly, we're, we're a more communal people. We have community value. Mm. Um, and like, and it strongly contrasts, like you're sitting in Britain, I'm sitting in America, which is like number one, individualism. And like, if you even depend on the community, then you're a failure. And I, so I feel like that, that narrative that, you know, you, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but then you also should be afraid of anything outside of, you know, the U.S. borders, um, is to keep us disconnected. Because if we truly were communal, if we truly understand, okay, I'm here, I don't necessarily need to go back to Africa, but I can go and invest. I can go and visit, I can go and build, like the, the impact is incredible, but so is my returns in my financial, okay? Let's I am an investor right. <laughs> and, you know, there, I, capitalist, I just think I do it with humanity. And I want to do it with purpose. I do want to make sure we are being positively impactful to the companies and the communities in which, and markets in which they serve. So there is a way to do this capitalism thing and still have a heart about it and still do good and not have to be purely extractive. You know, you, it, it makes me wonder like, why couldn't Apple set up a lithium mine with a lithium processor right next door and an iPhone manufacturing done right down the street, all in the DRC and then export. It's actually be cheaper. Right. Our iPhones that actually cost $300 and not $1,300, okay? Right. So, so why do it the other way? You know, why not set up those kind of linkages on ground or in country? So it just, um, again, for me, the narrative is, to keep us disconnected. And it's one of the things that in our firm um, at FM Capital Group that we, in the beginning days, we, we, had to, we had to battle. So we started off our approach was educational because um, the black people which we were serving didn't want to have anything to do with Africa. They were very fearful of the market. They didn't want to have anything to do with anything they couldn't see, touch and feel. And the fact of the matter is we need all of these asset classes, not just the one. And yeah. I always know that then another narrative is you should invest in stocks. You should invest in stocks. You should invest in stocks. But what about venture capital? What, <laughs> what about real estate? Like the general narrative is invest in stocks, invest in stocks, invest in stocks. But venture capital, oh, you need to be accredited. Oh, real estate, you need hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like, so it, you have to just Keep in mind, I love as you said this, like keep in mind what, what these narratives are that are being pushed. Um, I think a prevalent right now is that crypto will save us or crypto will bridge the racial wealth gap. Again, multiple asset classes, not just one. Um, and your allocation into those asset classes matter too. So, you know, people will call it diversification. Here's another narrative buster. Diversification is for wealth preservation. For those of us who are looking to accumulate wealth, we need to concentrate our wealth. We need to concentrate our investments, okay? And then you diversify. So then you start to think, well, which asset class should you be concentrated in? And then that takes us 
too. I mean, as an investment advisor, that takes me to like, well, what's your situation? What are your goals, et cetera? Because right. it's not a one size all situation. But be careful with all of these different narratives and like what is aimed and to what end and who is it being pushed towards? Um, right. So, you know, there's, there's a middle class agenda as well as a, a black agenda. And so, and, and sometimes these narratives converge or, you know, there's intersectionality within those agendas. Actually, for us as Black women, we see that a lot more clearly than maybe others. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. um, I agree with you. Like, these narratives, these very popular narratives, like, we need to really understand, like, what is it rooted in? And what is the real aim? Yeah, yeah. And I, there's, there's three things I wanted to come back to you on. The first one was this idea of responsible capitalism. There is, there is the possibility and this is what we a lot of organizations despite what they say they're still not getting to grips with you can combine profit and purpose you can do that but to your point as black as black women we have to be even more acutely aware that how we decide to invest and how we decide to operate still has that in mind and that you're not being persuaded to pick profit over um, profit over purpose in that sense or doing good in the community because if we're going to talk about sustainability on the one hand we also have to understand that what we take out of a community also has to be replenished and that needs to mm. also be reflected in the way we decide to invest who we invest with what are their you know what are their barriers to entry and like you said yep. this I, I love this part where you talked about the middle class agenda and, and and the black agenda and sometimes the middle class agenda if you're black you don't quite fit in there because to your point mm -hmm. the access points from a financial perspective I was asked to be an ambassador of um of a an investment advisor and their threshold for an individual was 100k and I was like well yeah. as a black woman I cannot knowingly advocate for 100k as an entry point into being able to you know preserve wealth because as a as anybody who's within the western hemisphere we are absolutely in accumulation mode that's what we're, we're trying to accumulate. And one of the things you also said that resonated is, and I think of it, you know, in the context of, you know, if you're starting a business, your business is to find your niche. You cannot try mm -hmm. to be a jack of all trades. Yeah. And it's that same thing about concentration. Diversification works in the sense of preservation, but it doesn't work <laughs> in the sense of trying to accumulate. Focus on one right. thing, do it well then generate returns and think about it like that. And it's that part also of working with what you have and this part around individualism, I find it a really interesting concept that we can always say the famous African proverb, it takes a village, but we only apply that to child rearing. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. It don't just it don't just take a you don't just take a village to raise a child, and if you look at the most, I'll, I'll take the UK as an example, and even actually I'll also take the US. If you look at the most successful communities, whether you want to call them immigrant communities, invited communities, but non well 
even the Brits aren't even indigenous to the UK, but I'm going to say non-white communities, the most successful communities are those who work together, where one person goes or two people go, they build a business, they buy a house, they invite the next one, but community yeah. builds a broader foundation. But for as long as we have, and when I say, I'm going to call it diaspora rewards and I'm going to bring a little bit of, you know, stuff that's been going on from, from the point where you still have these conversations like Akon talking, and I know we don't care about Akon, but it's the sentiment behind it, you know, African-Americans are African wannabes or something, something, something. He said something along those lines. I don't remember exactly. But as long as we have these wars amongst the diaspora as to who is better, we lose focus as to what yeah. we should be doing, which is investing to create community, investing to also generate a return to build our own wealth, but also because you're putting back that back into the community, yeah. It's that it's creating that effect of a virtuous circle instead exactly. of a vicious one, instead of a vicious one. Exactly, 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 exactly. And let's not forget too that that impact creates wealth for those communities as well, and for those right. people in those communities as well. And so it's not just my wealth that gets increased; it is their wealth that also gets increased, and then they start investing. Okay, so it's like it, it's what we see in um, in VC in venture capital when we have successful founders who've had successful exits, they themselves become investors and invest right. in more founders, right? They also do. They might they might start another business, but they will be investing as well. And so that virtuous cycle is what we are trying to activate. That's what I'm looking to activate in my work. And so I want wealth increase for all people. So whether you mm. have something and you're looking to multiply it we're here mm -hmm. for you if you are a founder and you need capital to increase your business because you're going to create jobs your product or service list um, solves challenges um, makes life better then that's what I want to do as well because I understand that as you're hiring as you're creating jobs those folks now have wages sustainable wages consistent wages that they can count on and can then plan and once you can plan your money, you can multiply your money. When it comes in fits and bouts, you're living that paycheck to pay, like even paycheck to paycheck living, at least I know it's coming. <laughs> like, it's, this is, it's, at least I know it's coming. It's not ideal. It's going to happen. I can yeah, yeah. plan it's, for right. the first, the fifth, or the tenth, or whatever it is. But when it's like, okay, I only have this one, and now I got to go back out and hustle, and I don't know where it's coming from again, that's the that's the cycle that needs to be broken. And that's yeah. a cycle of poverty that needs to be broken. And that's why you can find poverty in a middle-class household. You can find poverty in, 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 a, in a wealthy household, quite frankly, um, just because of that mindset of not being able to plan your, your, your money, not having consistent cash flow. Um, so mm -hmm. that, that's, that's the bigger impact is that our investing can create wealth for not just ourselves, but for others, which in turn again, creates wealth for others. Um, so those ripple effects are what, uh, what I just seek to amplify. And so I'm just like, you know, we all need to be invested. I think everybody should have venture capital, again, for whom it's suitable, but everybody should have the VC in their, in their portfolio um, because that virtuous cycle and those ripple effects are, are tremendous, particularly um, in, in our parts of the world. 100%.
hundred percent. And I think, um, you know, I call it the circle of money, you know, your ability to earn has an effect on your ability to save, which has an effect on your ability to invest. And if we're not in that cycle at any point, it makes it very difficult. And if there's that instability and insecurity, because ultimately if you don't have the space to invest, then you don't have real prospects of growing your wealth unless you happen to become a celebrity. We know there are exceptions to every rule, but, (laughs) but unless you have that, and I think this is why it becomes so important when we're when we're in that position to make that decision or it might even be you know what you choose to invest over saving you take your your disposable income to invest because you think about making your money first but to your point to go back to when we're looking at that narrative and this is something that's always bothered me in my asset management days was why do we try to get away from this concept of cash is king (laughs) Why do we try to get away from, you know, we talked about this before, tangibility of assets, because even the richest people, you know, the richest people in the world, yes, they may have a tech platform, but behind their tech are physical assets that they can touch, (laughs) be it buildings, be it land, be it farms, be it airplanes, boats, whatever, They have tangible assets. And it always makes me question. When I see, you know, cash is the last bearer instrument, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we talk about it being, you know, to to think about the black market and whatever. But when I see this kind of narrative of investing in something, we talked about real estate, right? (laughs) And you're being offered an investment in a real estate fund. How much of that property do you own? Or do you own a share in a real estate fund? It's, we're being, or I feel to some extent, we're still being discouraged to own. And the, the hurdles to ownership are becoming increasingly more difficult within the Western context. And I'm like, hmm, well, where should we be looking for? <laughs> what, you know, how are we thinking about this from a, like, this is just my own personal opinion. How much of my portfolio is tangible? How much of, how much do I own of anything really? If I don't like, I don't own, a, I don't own an apartment or a house, for example. And I know you're giving me side eye for that. Um, but, you know, how much of what I own is, is bricks and mortar or something that I can physically retreat to? Yeah, yeah. And it always worries me when I see a push away from tangibility because that makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, and I'm not sure. And I'm um, not sure if it's an age thing or a generation thing, but it always it just it just makes you go, oh no 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 no. And you kind of get told, and I'm not saying to anyone that they shouldn't invest in crypto. That's not what it is, but it's always that part of you. If you don't do it, you feel left behind. But if you do before. do it, you, if you do do it, you feel like to what extent should Riding the wave is the best way for me to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's an important part. And I think until you brought it up, I had never really thought about, yeah, we, like ownership comes with, with hard assets. And I know, I know our younger folks or our digital native people will debunk us on this or, or, and actually I welcome the debate. So please give us your opinions on this because um, maybe it is generational. But I, I think 
think that it's super important for your portfolio to to have hard assets. And maybe we need to even broaden the definition of investments because I think investing includes owning your own business. You know, it includes owning your own land. Um, it can it can include what people typically refer to as depreciating assets, but it also like cars or things like that. But it also depends on, well, how are you using those assets? Because can you resell it for, for cash or for another asset? You can. So it's depreciating, it will be less money than, but you, have, but you get something for it, right? You can do some trading around it. So I, I really do believe in, um, in ownership. I really do believe in accumulation of hard assets um, because you can, the, the, the barrier to entry is so much lower for your digital assets, um, which is why people have crypto over stock because it's, it's only few brokerages that will allow you to buy a piece of a stock. You, you gotta buy a whole stock. So mm. if Amazon is a thousand dollars a share, you gotta come up with a thousand dollars if you want one. <laughs> and, and that's, <laughs> and that's when they one. don't. You know? yeah, and that's when they yeah. don't have the the limit where you have to buy 10 of each stock that you want to buy. Because you got to be coming in with exactly because it already costs a thousand dollars to begin with. So you can buy one, but it's rare that you can come in with 10. It's very few that allow fractional mm -hmm. trading, which is why crypto becomes so accessible because you can get a piece of a Bitcoin. And I like the, the biggest narrative to Bitcoin when it first became popular back in 2016 with people understanding this console oh, I can't get Bitcoin it's five thousand dollars it's like no and you know no 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 you can buy a dollar you can buy fractional because you can get Satoshi which is a fraction of a Bitcoin and so that's when and that's why crypto is just so much more accessible because you you can buy fractions of it now yes there are brokerages that allow you to buy fractional shares of a stock but those are very those are still very rare um, and, and they're geared towards a younger clientele, I mean, to be more accessible, clearly. So that's, that, that's why a lot of us get pushed into digital assets. And even stocks have become digital assets too. I mean, yes, you own a piece of the company, but unless you're um, exercising your proxy and you're participating in the shareholder meeting and which you should be, <laughs> then you're, you're just owning a, you're owning a digital asset, which you have no decision-making power over. Um, and so mm -hmm. when you buy stocks and own stocks, I, you, you definitely should be exercising your rights as a shareholder and participating in those meetings, which are on Zoom or teleconference and voting your proxy. Um, so look into that <laughs> for those of you who don't know, and all of your mm -hmm. companies should be sending you that information. And if they're not, they need to be flagged. Um, so that's that. Because um, at the end of the day, we need to own like that needs to be your largest investment in whatever it is that you own. So me as an entrepreneur, I know my biggest assets are my businesses. Um, and the next would be, uh, would be VC and mm. the ownership I have in those companies. Right. So, mm. and that's where you need to understand like where, what do you own that's tangible? What ownership do you have um, in your portfolio? That's, and if you don't have enough of it, that's where you need to be focused on in, in this new year is accumulating cash to, to purchase and own something. And mm -hmm. then cash is king. And, you know, there's an adage out there, out there that say people want to say credit is king. 
but credit gets us into that non-tangible stuff, y'all. <laughs> it gets us more into that into that digital stuff over there. <laughs> so, um, you know, cash is to me if you if you feel like you're not owning anything, own cash. And that means right. you need to you need to stockpile. You need to save. And then what I tell clients is that that saving is your now your investment money. You need to be comfortable with the fact that you need to invest a part of your savings. Um, and the younger you are, the more of that savings actually you should be investing. And I know that that flies in the face of you know um, household knowledge or household wisdom, but we have to divorce ourselves from the fact that our savings is going to save us it's not and in this high inflationary period which many of us have never seen before many of us have never experienced this kind of inflationary period we have to invest your cash is going to be worth less that thousand dollars sitting there is going to be worth less than it will be next year especially and i'm talking current inflation trends and it won't be able. It won't be able to purchase as much. Okay. I see. Um, so, right. and and the that, that the next point is like there are, there are no interest rates. Okay, interest rates are rising, but some some countries are coming out of negative interest rate environments. Okay, so interest rates may be rising, but not to a level where you're going to see a a a coupon payment or interest payment that's going to do anything for you. Okay, so let's be very clear about the urgency behind all of us needing to invest and invest in things that you're actually owning. Yep, and I wanted to just come for what you said, which is, you said it flies in the face of household knowledge, but we have to also be clear in the face of whose household knowledge, because that Ooh. knowledge is very much aligned to whiteness, who even if they're not rich there's still generational wealth whether it's someone owned a house 200 years ago and that house has remained in the family which means they don't have to put up the capital so we are in a different phase accumulation means acceleration looking at all looking at the economic climate our purchasing power won't be what it was and there was something that i thought was really something that you said that was really liberating and the reason why I thought it was liberating because when we use the word investor it has that connotation of super billionaire over there you know and what you've said and this is what I think is going to change the mindset of anybody who listens to this is understand that you make investment decisions in your daily life because when you decide to purchase your car or you decide to purchase your house you've done calculations to understand well if I buy this house now and I'm looking forward in 30 years do I believe that this value that I've, this valuation that I have today will still have will hold its value in 30 years time you are making investment decisions 
people won't think of a car purchase as an investment decision. They won't think of a mortgage in terms of being an investment decision. They'll think about, well, I wanted to buy a house because I know it's important to own a house, but they discount the knowledge that they're using, even from like discounting. Um, they discount the knowledge that they're using in order to be able to make this purchase. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important too to, to feel, to, to understand and to be okay with the fact that not all investment decisions mean a return. Like some investment decisions mean that I need it as a means to something else, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, so never feel like, oh, I bought a car even though I knew it's going to depreciate, but don't, you need that car. And that car is gonna make you more money. And so some investment decisions are a means to making more money which then means that, okay, in the end, it was a good investment. So I think, so just brought in, you know, brought in that, that the, the end game as well. Like it's not always about the return. And we talked about it earlier when we're investing in certain um, regions of the world, it's not just about the return because if I wanted a 10X, 20X, 100X return, I'd stay right here in Silicon Valley. But if I'm okay with a 5X, 7X, 10x return, then I'm investing in Africa. I'm investing in Latin America. I'm investing in my people, understanding that it will take longer because the challenges, just and not just the challenges with the business that it, that the that the business is solving, so just infrastructure, just things that we're not paying for that need to be paid for um, in other parts of the world. Well, it, so it will take longer, and so my return expectation is different. So we all have to make adjustments so, you know there are investment decisions we make where we know okay this is going to take a long time but i believe in this person i believe in that business or something i just like this car <laughs> i just like this car okay <laughs> when people yeah. see me i'm gonna get into rooms there's my that's my investment <laughs> and those are okay those are yeah, but you know, one of my mentors always said to me, and she 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 talked about this like it wasn't in the terms of investment, but it was just in the terms of like anything you do in your business. She goes, you will always get paid, but you will, but you have to understand that getting paid doesn't always equate to money. It may not equate mm. to money, but the point is, like you said, we have to almost decouple return on investment that the return is a monetary return. You bought the car, yes. the car enabled you to work, the work led you to be able to earn money. So there's your return. The ability to earn money is your return. The money came later because that was a product of the work, but yes. it, all, it all fits together. You will see a return. The question is, do you value that return? Do you understand that mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a physical Because if it's enabling yeah. me to work and I, have, I go from a situation of having nothing to having something, I'm quids in, I'm happy. Yes, yes. And yes. I think- I love it. That was well said, decoupling it from the financial return. Yeah, yeah. Because we, we think we think about it and, you know, sometimes, and I don't know how you see this, but as you said, you know, when you, you could invest in Silicon Valley to get your 10, you know, your 100X, 200X, 1000X returns. And sometimes when I think about it, I think to myself, but how sustainable is that? Because when I read about some of these experiences of people in these companies that blow up, most of them are on the verge of burnout. 
by the time they've had this <laughs> X level of valuation, they don't stay in the business that they made all this money from. And then, you know, they're sitting on their millions and they're like, okay, now I'm going to do something that I'm passionate about. And you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, which to all intents and purposes is still extractive as in from a human perspective. And I always think I would rather have less of a return knowing that what I'm doing is building generational wealth, community, resource, education, infrastructure but it's also serving the people who are within the organization not just the people who are you know on the receiving end of the services so um you know why it's not extractive it's because the money stays here right it doesn't go anywhere and that's like you can have the privilege of you know selling out your business all your people are either have money too maybe you've made the millionaires and mm. other employees the whole equity they still have jobs and i have the pleasure of sitting here my taxes pay for the infrastructure that i enjoy because i can sit my i'm sitting on my mountain of money and my mountain of money stays right here where i made it yeah and that's yeah. the difference between mm. our communities is that our money that money invested right now especially foreign direct investment doesn't sit here doesn't stay there and so people will push back on me too, like, oh, well, doesn't it mean that African-Americans investing in Africa are being as extractive as the Chinese or the Europeans or the Americans? To where I say no, for a, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, we are, we're likely to stay there. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to move there or live there, mm. um, but I'm a, I'll be back. Like, I'm going to visit. I'm going to spend money there. Like I'm going right. to, I'm going to put money into circulation into that economy Two, I'm going to look for the next deal in that region. Like I'm not just, my money just can just leave. My money mm-hmm. likely stays and recycles. Um, and so we have a concept, we have more of a concept of recycling on upon success as opposed to like escaping and getting out of yeah. Dodge um, upon success. And so that's where I think the, the, the biggest, I think the biggest um, differences are. And three, really, once you get a taste of Africa or Latin, you probably will move there. I mean, <laughs> as a black person, like, just the, the elimination of microaggressions, <laughs> where you can just really truly walk into a space and it's all about, it's about merit, and truly how put together I am, not, not my skin, but because I look good, because I'm dressed well, because I have degrees, like all of those things matter, both period, and that's it. it it's a nice feeling, it's, you know, it's a nice feeling. You might move there, <laughs> but I, I think that it's totally different as um, diasporans to invest in Africa than it is for non-Indigenous people. I think the mindset is just very, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just, it's very different. It's the same fear that Americans have of Chinese investing in America because that money is going back to China. I mean, it has to, in fact, like lawfully, <laughs> they have to take their money back to China. Um, so it's, it's the reason why Americans are all up in arms that, you know, the Empire State Building is now owned by Chinese investors. 
they're all up in arms that all these yes girl that all I didn't know my face (laughs) all this swaths of farmland in the midwest is owned by Chinese like there is a quiet concern around that we don't have the same kind of laws for ownership anyone can own in the U.S. if you got the money you can own all right it's not the same as in other parts of the world where you need to be a citizen of that country you need to have been born in that country some countries go to that extent like you need to have bloodline here we don't have that's not the same thing here so there's 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 a reason why um yeah any country should be concerned about foreign direct investment because where does that wealth land after it's realized yeah well the 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 europeans like have the same thing and that's where the german government and the french government stepped in it and they were like Mm. no you can't buy nothing else government's buying up everything no 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 yeah exactly and, you know, and then purchases purchases happen via layering you know it's a trust fund and blah blah and then when mm-hmm. you go back, it's it's that part and I, do you know what I also think and I, I don't know this is just how I would see it or how I see things because I'm you know thinking more or not thinking I've been thinking and working on a project over the last year more details offline for you but <laughs> when I think about us being born in the UK or born in the US we still have an idea as to what we think good infrastructure will work or like what good mm-hmm. infrastructure would make our make our lives easier and if it makes our lives easier based on how we've grown up it will make the lives of look the, the lives of those who actually live there the locals a lot easier too and you take the care and consideration as opposed to being dismissive of it being a third world third world emerging developing country because you don't look at it as emerging or developing it's developed it has just been extracted from and what you're trying to do Mm -hmm. is recalibrate the original right extraction as it were to 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 get to the point to kind of get to this rebalancing point, rebalance point, because to your point, and we, and I think FTX for me is a is a really good example because I read this article about the damage that FTX did within Africa, which was it sold a dream of we are going to help you accumulate wealth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No regulation, nothing, 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 and ended up doing more damage. And I'm not. This is not to say that I don't believe diasporans can and do these kinds of deals but what I'm saying is the extent to which it was permissible in terms of capital and investment that would never happen on a black scale because no one's giving a black person that much money to do it that much uh uh, legal framework (laughs) right it's not no no one's giving no one's giving someone 350 million to go do this and have access to Africa and blah no one's doing that for a black person it's just a fact. So for me, it's that part around everyone's still looking at global growth in terms of return generation, but they're still dehumanizing the continent and looking at it as a work workhorse, workforce to generate mm-hmm. their returns, not looking at it. These are people with cultures and opinions and wants and needs and desires and my biggest aim 
if I sit in Nigeria, Ghana, wherever, isn't to work just, my biggest aim isn't just to work for a European organization. I have yeah. dreams beyond that. Right. And I think that right. will always be the difference, the listening to the community as to what is needed and what's meaningful. I'm going to call it interaction and or collaboration versus going in is what we're doing. Yes, yes. Let me tell you what's good for you. <laughs> I have a really, really great idea. So what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to we're going to get you some fresh water. Water's not the problem. So what we're going to do is we're going to build these pipes that you can get fresh tap water out of the taps. Water is not the problem. But you're not listening to us. You're going to have the newest taps ever that are solar pack. Water's not the problem. Ta-da! You've got the taps. Oh, by the way, now you have to, now you have to pay a hundred dollars a week to, to to use the tax. Uh, right, but only a hundred dollars a month. Pay for the That's not my problem. Right, right, correct, correct. Water's not the problem. I have fresh water that comes from a tap. It just has to. It just happens to be accessed by the community. Nothing's wrong with that. <laughs> like, there's just, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, what I mean. So you're right. It's like this calibration of understanding, like when we come, I thought for me, like when I come into Nigeria, as more than I go into our village, like what I find comfortable even changes. Like I'm soon now, I, I'm now, I'm, I'm more, I'm comfortable with humidity. Whereas in the US it's like, it's hot, you know, like, <laughs> you're like, I become comfortable with this. You know, power, you have a power outage and you don't even blink, yo. Like you just don't even blink. Generator comes on automatically. Like when it comes back, power comes back on, generator turns off automatically. Like technology, y'all. Like, you know, so it's, it's so interesting. Like you will, I feel like we have this adaptability where it's like, okay, well, this is the situation. Cool. Like what? what what what's comfortable like what makes me comfortable what what more could I use or what do I need to even make you know my level of comfort maybe it's a little bit higher and that's okay too but it's the whole idea like when you come in immediately when it's different and it's just like you're just you're just uncomfortable period and it's only because it's different that that's the difference like that's the difference that you're describing and it just it and it shows up in the way we do business it shows up in the way we invest. It shows up in the terms around which we invest. When you see some of the terms and some of the uh, agreements that some founders sign, and then we come in with our term sheets and they're like, wow. And we can't, they can't even sign ours because they've already signed more restrictive, restrictive terms. And so, you know, it's, it's also, uh, it could lead us down this road of like, not all money is good money, y'all. Like, you know, and, you know, just trying to <laughs> just, just always if you're listening a position to, if, of power. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you've not watched the video, I just did a point. I did a point and I closed my <laughs> eyes and I did a nod. Say again, please, Lydia, because this is a really, yeah. really important it's, point. Listen, not all money is good money. Thank you. It's just... It's not like they offer you two million dollars for your for your business, but they want eighty percent. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. Like, 
It doesn't make, make sense. So make it make sense. It can make sense. You can't make that make sense. And it's so uh, we 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 have to play from a position of power. And I think I think historically we tend to play small and we tend to play weak. Not coming into a pop, like into a position or into any negotiation from like I'm trying to make you millions. Let's let's not get this twisted. Okay. Right. My business right. is here to make you millions of dollars. That's period. Billions of dollars. My business. Your money can fuel it or not. It's up to you. But it's certainly not in the place of, oh, please give me your money. Oh, please give me your money. This is so hard. No. And I, I mean, I was in Guyana last month talking to entrepreneurs. And I can't tell you like how many of them, I mean, more than half of them, that was, that was a, my conversation with them. Like, You've got to come from a place of power. You're the right. asset. Right. But what we, still, what we still believe intrinsically is if I don't get this offer, if I don't, if I don't close this deal, then nobody else is going to close it. So when we already step in with that energy, they're already to lowball because they know whatever, you, whatever they say is going to be a good deal to you. Yeah. And this, and this yeah. is also... I would say part of salary negotiation too. It's like you mm-hmm. hope for this number and then you're like, well, if I don't get it, I'll, I'll be happy. And we're not taught to stand in our power and know our value. And it's like, yeah. that for me is a big one because we have to appreciate that we are in all cases an asset. Yeah. We have access to networks, ideas. Black culture is contemporary culture in the story. So anything that we are thinking, period, anything that we are thinking is 10 steps ahead. So when you're going in and you're thinking that you're not saying anything, always understand that you're dropping nuggets, golden nuggets without even realizing. And this is why we also have to be more um what's the word cautious in how and what we choose to share of ourselves of our businesses mm-hmm. of our plans because there are still yeah. other people ready out there to activate them with more capital with more connections yeah. and we have to as you said and this is why the role that you you play is so important because there has to be that place of trust where we can go because how many times are you seeing how many times you read a story, black person goes to pitch, the investor steals the idea. Mm. It's it's this part around safely getting advice when it comes to investments, safely getting advice on to how to accumulate wealth in a way that doesn't make you feel, make black people feel dirty or because that's the other point. We've been conditioned not to talk about wealth accumulation because, you know, that's what low class people do when everyone's charged up and oh, I made this much money, it's a deal. And they're on yachts. No one calls it the same thing. So it's understanding to many, in many instances, our own relationship with money, not in terms of our spending capacity, but how we feel about it, how we talk about it. Do we yeah. even talk about it? Um, because I think that also puts us in that position of power. I'm not saying if someone offered me a hundred million today, my eyes wouldn't be full of stars. Of course it would be. Of course they would be. Right. But, of course. but but 
the question is, if someone's willing to offer me that much as a black woman, it usually means it's probably worth 10 times more. <laughs> so, yeah. If you're willing to offer me that, it means it's worth okay 10 times more. Did you catch like I need everyone to catch what she said because I thought she was coming with so what do you want for that hundred million? She said it's probably worth ten times more. See how negotiating from a place of power versus negotiating from a place of lack. Like that is the that's the, that's the nugget of the day. Okay, whatever you're being offered, no, you are worth ten times more. Right, you are. Right. Because we, we see celebrities, and I always look at it from that perspective, you know, you see all these celebrities and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, such and such got paid 50 million to do that too. And I'm like, yeah. But how much did the person who brokered that deal get paid? Mm. The black mm. person will always get paid the least out of any deal. <laughs> so how much, how much is anybody else getting paid? That's what I want to know. I want to know how much is the person who has broken all these deals getting paid? You know, yeah, we have to. I think you know, it's that part around questioning. I don't mean questioning everything and sitting there like like it's a conspiracy theory, but understanding that as much as people want to say that they appreciate us, like they should, take the time to process information. Like, take the time to take a step back and see. Is this legit yeah. what it is? Don't let yeah. anyone pressure you into like a I, contract. I agree. No, no. And I tell founders you should do you should do due diligence on investors. Like you should be researching us. You should be looking us up. You should be asking other other uh, companies that we've invested in. Hey, what are they like? You know, are they really mm -hmm. helpful? Are they a distraction? Are they, uh, do they apply pressure? So, you know, again, and, and it's again, understanding your worth um, and what you bring to the deal as well. So it's not just like you need the money, you need the capital, but you're, again, you're the asset. Mm -hmm. You're the one, you, you're the one that stands to increase to a billion dollar valuation that I then get to, you know, participate in. Um, so it, it's very important like that step back is really doing due diligence. Like any investor worth their salt is doing some level of due diligence. And we all should be doing that. So if you're in a salary negotiation, have you done your due diligence to see what this position get, uh, gets in your market and in other markets? Because let's be quite frank, like we're all competing on a global scale now. I don't care if you're sitting in Africa, if you're sitting in South America, if you're sitting in, you know, UK islands, I don't care. You're competing on a global scale. You need to know what's going on in other parts of the world. Whatever, however you're doing business, whether it's a job offer, whether it's your own business, whether it's your sector, you need to look at it globally. You need to understand the global implications. Um, and as business owners, like we, we have to, and it's not just for competition, it's not competition within like, the, the product and services that I'm delivering. It's competition with my employees. <laughs> it's competition with investors. Like we have to consider all of these things on a global scale now. That democratization that gives us better and easier access is just true across the board. Right. 
and, and so us, you're it, never just playing in your home market <laughs> no no and it gives us it gives us it gives us a level of optionality that wasn't there yeah. before and 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 absolutely it, and the optionality doesn't mean because we have so many options it means it has to be the due diligence has to be even more on point otherwise you know you you end up getting lost in a sea of bad situations bad employees bad deals you know it's understanding that there's no rush because the accumulation of wealth we're however many hundred years behind not everybody of course but we're we're behind and this wealth wasn't just built in a day it was built over years and compounded we're just trying to catch up but don't what's the word they say um more speed less haste don't be hasty mm, in decisions, yeah. even though you want to be quick about achieving your goal. But yeah. so listen, our time has flown by. I can't even believe it. So what do you want our audience to take away from our our, our episode today? And where can they find um, you? Also very important. So um, I would say, well, first you can find me on all social media platforms at Faith Might. Um, you can find me there. Um, our firm is FM Capital Group. You can find us um, online as well, FM Capital GRP, which is our handle, then as .com for the website. Um, I'm happy to, you can schedule a call from the um, through the website. I'm so happy to talk about your particular situation and mm -hmm. anything you took away from this show or in what you, you know, any ideas you want to incorporate into your own portfolio or how to get your own portfolio started. So that's how you can find me and find us. Uh, I think the biggest thing to take away is that everyone should be an investor. And everyone can be an investor. And um, your two, there's no proper approach to investing or to, I should say more so, more specifically to starting a portfolio. So if your mm -hmm. entry point is crypto, hooray, you know, how can we multiply it and get you the cash you need so that then you can parlay that into something that has, gives you more ownership stake because mm -hmm. it is that concentration of wealth in owned assets that brings that accumulated wealth faster. And so that, those are probably the two biggest things that I would say is just, you can invest, everyone can, and um, there's no one door. There are multiple doors to this game. There's multiple doors to wealth. It's just picking one and then getting into a strategy of concentrated asset allocation that provides the returns that you need to then parlayed into other asset classes other businesses and i guess the third thing is y'all enjoy <laughs> enjoy life okay right like we said right. you are an asset pour into yourself anything that you're doing for yourself is is, is definitely an investment whether it's okay. getting your nails done because you want to feel good whether it's you know buying a course so that you can learn something more i mean anything we're doing for ourselves because we are the asset that mm -hmm. is also an investment. I don't think we think of ourselves enough as investments. And so when we think that, oh, we're getting our hair done for this amount of money, it's like, it's oh, wait, my. like, girl, no. If it makes you feel good, you feel good and, good, and you're, good. right, and you're walking with your you're shoulders like and now, your head, right. Like swinging, this, all that money was worth it. Brilliant right. investment. Okay. So change this mindset in 2023 y'all like we are an asset you are an asset and you no know, move accordingly preach well i have no words to add to that besides amazing i you know every every single episode i sit here as a host but i also sit here as a student too 
and I just love all the knowledge that you've imparted the conversations got my mind going the whole thing so Lydia just thank you so much everyone you know where to find me at Liam MM on uh, Instagram I think I'm Liam Maya on TikTok and LinkedIn if you need to find me there so thank you very much